G'day, Dave Kearsy here. Over the next few months, I'll be doing a series of interviews called To The Left Interviews. Um, they're called To The Left because anyone who knows me knows that if you're standing on the right side of me, I can't hear a bloody thing you're saying. So all my interviews are hosted to my left. Um, I'll be interviewing a lot of the Vikings, Hastings Valley Vikings, players, staff, legends of the club, having some very raw conversations just to get to know their backstories and their highs and lows with the club uh, and their stories on and off the field. So I really hope you enjoy it. I hope you listen listen in. I'll be interviewing a lot of the key players of the club and a lot of the key characters of the club as well. Just a heads up warning, there might be a bit of swearing, um, so probably not for the kiddies, but for the rest of you out there, I really hope you enjoy. To the left. G'day boys, welcome back to another episode of To The Left. Um, guys, I've been, obviously been, haven't done one for a while, been off, off the grid for a little while uh, due to various different reasons, but due to this bloody lockdown, uh, I'm still trying to figure out how, how to do To The Left interviews over the phone. Um, I'm just trying to figure it out now, but it's I should be able to get it right. And when I when I do, um, we might start getting a few more out, hey, during the lockdown, there's still so many blokes I want to talk to. It's just weird, weird times with this with this lockdown. And I'll talk a bit more about it later. But um, I thought while we're, while we're in the lockdown, I might might do something a bit different. Uh, I might um, tell my story, <laughs> tell my bit of a my my sort of rugby story. And um, so if you you know it's one of those one of those stories. I, I think it's got a few twists and turns. And fuck, I made a lot a lot of mistakes over over my years playing rugby and. Had some great moments too with a lot of great people. And um, when I when I th- first thought about this, I thought, you know, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to get on here and talk about yourself. Um, you know, you don't want it to sound like you're talking up what you've done, what you won, all that sort of stuff. But I thought you boys have all been honest with me. Everyone I've interviewed has been so honest with me, and um, I thought I'd just return the favour. I think it's my time to be be honest with you and. Yeah, not, not not all of what I've done in my sort of rugby life and, and my rugby journey and and that's been good. And I fucked up plenty of times and I've um you know, I've 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 had games where I feel like it was my fault. I still hold guilt with um some grand finals and decisions I made, especially when I was in the, the captain's seat and um you know, so it's not all glitz and glamour, so I'm not I'm not doing this talking about myself to to talk about the you know, the how good I was, or anything like that. I've got, I've, I don't think I've ever played in a team where I was the best player. Um, that, without a doubt, I've, I know that for a fact. And um, so it's not about that. I just, just thought, you know, while we're in lockdown and why I can't get anyone around here to have a beer with and have a yarn, I might as well um, tell my story. So those who want to listen, um, it's a bit of a yarn. It'll go for a while, um, but I've just, I've, and I'm. I'm really only going to do a bit of point form, but I found myself when I was writing down a couple of points and and thinking about um, you know what I wanted to say on here and wanted to get off my chest a bit. I guess um, I thought, oh, buddy, hell, this it's it's actually good, you know. I, I thought I've looked back and at some of the sort of journey I've had, and I thought, fucking hell, I've been lucky, um, been lucky, been very blessed, you know. Even even these guys that I that I've, I've interviewed so far and I get to meet, I, I think. Fucking hell, I'm just lucky to know these blokes. 
you know, our, our game and, um, you know, our, our rugby journeys has, has just brought us so so many highs, so many lows, but more highs than lows. Um, and and so many so many of the highs create things that are that they're everlasting. And I don't want to get too carried away, but um, you know, there's a fair few sliding door moments in my life um, when it comes to rugby. Um, and I'll I'll touch on them. So it might go for a while. So if you if you're not interested, mate, switch off. No dramas. It's all good. Um, but if you are, just uh, hang about. Um, and have a li- have a listen to this because there's there's going to be some um, yeah a few home truths um, and like I said it's not all glitz and glamour but um, there'll be a bit of a shout out to a few people a few I've been like I was saying I've been very lucky to to have spent some some time in some memorable moments with with a few people that a lot of them were strangers before we we ran out on the field together and I'd fucking kill for them now I um. I look back on when you get to my age, I suppose. <laughs> I know I talk about getting old, but when you get to my age, you do look back on them, and you, you know, you do anything for them. It does. It doesn't change um, your commitment on the field. In my books, that you just don't turn that tap off. Um, but yeah, sit back. I'll try not to make it too serious, um, and I sort of hope you enjoy it. But um, happy for any of my views and all that sort of stuff. Happy for anyone to. To give me a ring and say, "Fucking hell, what are you talking about? It should be like this or, or whatever." Um, you know, this is this is as raw as it gets. Um, I don't know how how it could get any rawer because I'm not editing it. I'm just literally just going to jot down a few points um, and then away we go. I'm going to tell you blokes all about the journey and fucking hell, it's been loose, um, been loose, but a hell of a lot of fun. And you know, at 41, oh, fuck me, I'd I'd go back and do it all again in a heartbeat if I could. Um, and yeah, and, and you know, the most of the people that listen to this, you're all a part of it. So I love you, love you very much. But, um, anyway, I hope you, hope you enjoy this episode, uh, of Dave Keezy <laughs> to the left. Right. Hey, here we go. Now, when I, when I sat down and started, Doing a few job points to to do this. Um, out of out of all these to the left interviews, I don't think I found one more difficult, <clears throat> and I'm um, extremely nervous because when I started writing down a few points and and thinking back at, at the sort of games and the the moments and the different teams I've been in, and um, holy dooly, started started getting a bit emotional uh, even before I spoke. Now, for those of you out there, I, if you know, I've got a lot. I'm not perfect by any chance, but a lot of the things I, I one of the, the worst things I do is dates. I'm bloody hopeless with dates. Like I think back, and I was trying to think back of when dates is a couple of key dates, but obviously when I'm talking, when I when I tell a few yarns and a few stories, like this will go for a while. The the things I've got on here, I might do. I might have to do a part one or part two and stuff like that. But. Um, yeah, the dates. Oh, geez, I'm I'm bloody shit house with dates. So if I get dates wrong, if you hear me talking about something and you think, nah, that was 2012, not 2013, and stuff like that, just forgive me um, because it was all all a bit of a blur. And mate, through every anyone who knows me really, really well knows that through every season, I fucking drunk a lot of piss. Um, I'm not sure if there's many many people, especially through those early years, that drank as much as me. <laughs> Um, it was just kind of part of my my rugby life. Um, I'd 
the 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 years just sort of tick by, and the Saturday nights and the Sunday sippers and the Thursday nights after training and all that sort of stuff. The, especially the the boys that listen to this back in from the Inverell days. Um, yeah, it's a it's a bit of a journey. So if if it all sort of meshes together and the dates are wrong, just don't worry about it. Um, don't worry about it. Give me a ring. Give me shit if I, f- I forgot a date. And, and there's going to be heaps that I've missed. You know, we're, we're talking 20-odd years of, of a rugby journey, um, you know, 20-something years now. It's it's And every year is just, you know, full of memories and moments and um, big games and things that blokes have done, self-sacrifice, um, things that my family have sacrificed for me, um, you know, th- things that, in my personal life, sliding door moments that have influenced who who I've been around or decisions that I've made. And, geez, like I said in the, the intro, I fucked up a lot. I fucked up. So this, when I talk about some of this stuff, there's not much funny in it. I I, I didn't want to sort of talk about me and sort of make a bit of a joke. I just wanted to be honest with you guys. Um, you guys are the ones that listen listen to this and, and I, I love the feedback you get, but I thought, fuck it, I'll just be – Fucking brutally honest. Um, I'll I'll tell you about times where I've I've made mistakes, and in my mind, um, you know, it's cost cost the blokes around me, and that's that stuff sits with me. Um, to be honest, it sits with me, and uh, it'll sit with me always because I, I, you know, if there's anything about me that I always played for my team, um, everything I did rugby wise, everything I still try to do, um, I do it for my team. Um, I'm, I'm all about what rugby, rugby brings brings to people, brings to individuals, brings to their lives, um, none more so than the Australian deaf rugby side. And I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that because I, it's really important to me that, that that message, what Australia deaf rugby does, what that, uh, it's really important to me that that gets out to even to you guys. You know, you guys are will be a vessel to pass on the word and, and you know, hopefully – down the track, someone, some little kid will pick up a rugby ball because I've I've spoken on here and you've heard it and you've talked to someone at a barbecue. But I'll get into that later. But yeah, don't judge me on dates and um, accuracy of, of of stuff. I'll yeah, and then a lot of the older stories of you know, like any old rugby player, I suppose I I can blow out the truth a bit, but it's how I want to remember it, and that's all that fucking matters. Um, you know, I've, I've, I'm very, very, very lucky. To have been around some wonderful people um, and had some incredible times, and fuck, I wouldn't have it any other way. And if I want to tell the story like that, then fucking so be it. I'll tell it. Um, so I just hope you blokes enjoy it, and I hope it gives you a few of these stories too. I'm sure a few of you that know me have talked about them on the drink or talked about them silly Sunday or whatever. Um, and you know, I've, you probably know, but I'm kind of hoping you. You might pick up something a bit about me that you don't know, and a bit about. That's why I want to be honest about them. Um, you know, the, the, not not all these stories are good. I tell you, there's some ones in there that I can wish had never happened. But when you, you know, when you when you talk about life and you talk about the fucking good times, there's there's always some times that you wish you could do over again and decisions you could make again. But fuck, it all just adds up, doesn't it? It all just all just creeps into you and becomes a part of you. Um, it's really important to me, you know, is, is with rugby, one thing you walk away is fucking respect. You know, respect. There's so many players, and they're not always the best players I played against. 
Um, but they're players that, uh, you know, that I've just, uh, uh, my respect for them will never falter. Um, if that's a word, falter. Um, but, you know, I, I'd like to think that there's a few people that have been a part of my journey somewhere um, that'll, that'll, you know, I've earned a bit of respect there. Um, and mate, I'm a massive believer in respect's got to be earned. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll get started. But before I do, I just quickly want to touch on the controversial lockdowns that's happening at the moment. I don't want to get too opinionated about it, mate. You get on fucking Facebook, there's, there's people whinging about vaccines and fucking lockdowns, and and, and I get it. Honestly, I, I get it. I get I get why people are so frustrated. It's shit. It's real shit. You know where. I, I had my I had a day off work today. That's why I'm doing this. I've had a couple of beers actually, but I had a day off work today and um did a bit of homeschooling with the kids, like I'm sure a lot of you out there are doing or your wives are doing. And mate, it's a fucking tough gig. I um, you know, you find yourself with the kids. You like for starters, I'm real I'm real shit with maths. So even sitting there doing year one maths, I'm like fucking what's what's that? But um, yeah, it's a tough gig. The the kids. I reckon the kids out of this are going to be the worst off. Like they, it's it's not as good as going to school, that's for sure. But you know, I'm reading stuff, social media. It's all it's all going off at the moment, and understandably so. I hear about people just vilifying these people doing protests, and you know, just fucking stop doing the protests and stop man like ganging up on the borders and protesting. But you know, I, I hate to be a fence sitter, but. Yeah, I, I want this over and done with as quick as possible as well. I, I, but holy dooly, if I was living in Kingscliff or just below Tweed Heads and someone told me that I couldn't cross the border and see my kids or I couldn't cross the border and see my father if he was in hospital in, in um, Gold Coast Hospital or Brisbane Hospital or you know any of that sort of stuff, fuck me, dad, I'd be on that border as well. Um, so it's really, really easy to say, oh, stop bloody... And, you know, stop bloody doing these protests and stuff, but holy shit. I've, um, I've got a mate, I won't mention his name, but he owns a property uh, near Gundawindi. He's played for Moree. He's a bit of a Moree legend, but um, yeah, I heard the other day, he his property goes both sides of the river near Gundawindi, so there's a bit of it in Queensland as well. It's huge, big property. He makes a killing, but he couldn't even get across the border to his own property. Um, you know, it's... It's his property, and he couldn't even drive over there. And you know that causes all kinds of trouble because you've got to hire equipment over there and get reliable blokes over there to farm the land for him. And you know he's talking about building a barge down river. <laughs> so anyway, the the lockdown, I I don't know, I got no answers for you. I just hope it's over soon. And um, you know they that you see all this. Everyone says stay safe, stay safe. I get all that. Um, and check on your mates. I, I used to be. One of them blokes who go, oh, fucking mental health is not really a thing and I don't want to go fucking into it. Like, you know, you blokes you blokes all know about mental health and stuff. But um, And I've been very blessed that I haven't been impacted too much um, by mental health, but fucking check on your mates, hey? Um, you know, we're, a few of us are in punters clubs and things like that to fill in the time on the weekends and you can still have a beer and still feels like you're chatting with them and there's a bit of fucking banter and... Um, you know, if you've got, got close mates and you haven't heard from them for a week or two, give them a fucking ring. Give them a video call and have a beer and tell them they're a fat bastard or whatever. Fucking just the usual stuff. But, um, 
Yeah, as far as as far as I don't want to say too much more on the lockdowns. Everyone's got different views on it and all that sort of stuff. I just can't fucking wait till it's over. But if you take any point out of this, it's it just just stay in touch, stay in touch with everyone. Fucking whether it's through chatting or or whatever on Facebook or whatever, just fucking stay in touch. Um, yeah, it wasn't till and, and I don't want this to be a doom and gloom sort of podcast, obviously, but with Dean Hawkins when. Um, you know, that was that was the first time really I'd been uh, touched by that sort of thing. And um, you, a lot of you guys would know him. And, and I, I'd only spoken to him a, a week or two before. And, um, yeah, it's a tough one. So just, just fucking look after each other, eh? Just fucking touch base with each other. Stay stay in touch. That's all. Um, and anyone anyone who wants to bloody have you under me, I'm bloody here. But anyway, I don't want to get too, too into that. Um, it's not about that. But uh, the lockdowns, as, as far as footy season goes, at this stage, uh, as, now I've got the same information as you guys, and at this stage, fucking Vikings are going to host another grand final. Um, whether it be after this lockdown or what, I just fucking hope it happens. If it doesn't happen, oh, fuck. It's going to be bad. It's going to be bad for everyone. You know, this. When it comes to a grand final and this season, you know, I've only been a minor part of this season. I'm an old dude that's just helped out a couple of times, but um, it doesn't mean it means any less to the players and the, the club and the the tragics of the club, you know. It's for it not in the 25th year, the whole the whole thing and, you know, Adam and Hamish and, oh, Jesus, there's just so much, so much in the background that if this – one 80-minute game doesn't get played, oh, it's going to sit sit in a lot of people forever, I think. Um, when it comes to grand finals, there's, oh, geez, there's, a, there's a big void there if it was one that got away. Um, I've, I've done that a couple of times. I've, I've lost a couple that have got away. So, um, But it's I'm really, really hoping, you know, they, they just fucking lift lift this lockdown. I don't give a fuck if they lift it for two days. I'm including Silly Sunday in that. Um, but two days, let's just fucking get a green final in and then a Silly Sunday out at the lease. That's, you know, that sounds selfish of me in the whole scheme of things. But um, when it comes to this Vikings and this premiership, you know, there's new players to the club. There's all the, the ups and downs of the season. There's players suspended. There's injuries. There's... Um, there was a fucking cracking bus trip there a couple of weeks ago. I got got to know a few blokes, but to not be able to finish that off with a premiership when it's right there, um, you know, especially when a lot of the older blokes know that their their window, premiership windows, you know, will, will start to close soon. Um, if they're not like me and it's sort of closing already, it's just age. But for you blokes out there listening, you Vikings blokes, fuck me, boys. I hope it. I hope it happens. I hope it happens, um, and I hope you bring it home and make make that memory. Um, and I'm hope, I hope I'm standing there drunk as twenty men, cheering you on and crying like a baby. Um, let's just hope. Let's just all hope that happens. Um, okay, now I'll, I'll jump into my story. I hope you honestly. I hope I hope you're in because there's fucking a lot to talk about. And like now, I've, I've talked. I'm looking at the clock here now. I've talked for thirteen minutes already. And I fucking haven't even started. Um, <laughs> so I, that's that's how I get. I just get carried away. But that's this is this is going to be very raw. Um, you know, I talk in my intro about the raw, um, unedited, but 
geez, it doesn't get much raw than this, but because it's so raw, um, yeah, I don't know. I hope you blokes don't. I think I'm a bit of a pussy when I talk about some of this stuff because it's it's a bit emotional to me personally, and, and and some of it means means a lot to me personally. And you know, I did this. I started doing these to the left interviews to let everyone's story get out there. Um, so it's kind of bizarre that I'm doing one about myself. Um, and yeah, you know, you you always you don't want to sound sound like a bit of a dick. You know, want to sound like you're talking yourself up. Um, Lindo. Lindo said to me right when I started doing these, um, when we were on the drink once and it stuck with me, he said, oh, he said, oh, mate, it's awesome that you're doing these to the left's interviews, but you know, you're doing it to, to sort of keep in touch with the boys, to keep it as a part of it. And I thought, fucking, you're, you're spot on, Lindo. Um, you know, as I, as I get older, I, I can't, I just can't contribute on the field as much. Like I've been, I had a couple of games this year and fucking hell, I'd, in my head, I just want to whack blokes. Um, there's, a, there's a game, that last game I played against Lindo when I was played a bit of reserve grade and Lindo come over and said, fucking, can you hit that number 14, whatever his name was? And I thought, right, I'm going to fucking – I said, yep, done. As soon as he got the ball, I threw myself at him. I, tr- I shot up out of line. I, I think I got called offside, but I, I wasn't. I was fucking dead set on side. I just sprinted up. So it just looked like I sprinted up in front of everyone. <laughs> But um, got a good shot on him, um, just shoulder straight into his chest. Um, but holy dooly, it took the wind out of me. <laughs> just, and I thought, fucking hell! Like I, you see, in your head, you you older blokes that listen to this, you'll know that with footy, it's just in your head. You you've got it. There's no fucking doubt you can do it every game. But then your body just you just don't get up that quick, um, and you you're puffing. Mind you, the fucking the parties and durries I've had over the last couple of decades doesn't contribute real well to the to the fitness or anything like that. But in your head, you want to do it. You still you still want to do it. You still believe you can do it. But fucking physically, geez, mate, my knee at the moment. When I was up at um, when I played up at Marlins um, just before before well, it was a couple of weeks ago, I fucking twisted something in my knee and. I tried to even go for a walk today, and here we are weeks later, and it's still there's something there. It's just bizarre. But anyway, don't want to whinge too much about that. But um, I just hope the fucking season gets going, and I'll um, I'll talk a bit talk about my journey now. And um, if you don't want to listen, no dramas. Um, but I could if you want to hear some wild stuff, um, you, you'll sort of get to know a bit about my story. And um, I'm, I'm kind of feel good about telling it actually instead of just a yarn here and there with you blokes and might bring anything up with me and if I get dates wrong no dramas um but my like it's no secret mine all started back in good old Inverell sunny Inverell Inverell to me is is God's country um you know I, I love it here in Port Macquarie I love parts of the world I've traveled to parts of where I've played rugby um and where I've just traveled holidaying but Inverell is the motherland for me. Um, you know, I, all my childhood memories, pre-technology days, and all that. It was, it was with my my brothers. Um, I got two older brothers, Bill and Bob. Um, you know, they're they're the fucking best to me, and I'm, I'm very lucky. Man, I've got my mum and dad back there, and um, you know, family and all my friends. You know, and they're, and they're for anyone sort of my age, about the forties. Um, 
the original gangster mates, you know, your, your old school mates, um, the ones that all these years later you can say things and only they'll get it. Um, you know, I grew up out on the farm till I was, uh, I don't know, about seven or eight. I think I come in town maybe even a little bit earlier and then we got about five acres in town, so enough to cruise around on dirt bikes. But anyway, grew up in Inverell, loved it. Same as, you know, I talked to a few of the boys, grew up at Burke and that. You talk about how you grew up down the river making rope swings and fucking grew up as a cheeky little little shit I was. Um, you know, I thought I could fight anyone. <laughs> thought I'd never get belted. You know, that, that didn't work out too good for me sometimes. Um, but, you know, you're, you're a young bush kid growing up, sinking piss, just trying to have fun and make mates, play footy. That's it. I didn't actually start playing rugby till I was 16, uh, 15, uh, 15, 16, about that age. Um, yeah, I started playing the in the, the lower grades of the Highlanders and just learnt the game, but I was always a seven. You know, a lot of blokes I've talked to have played different positions and stuff like that. I um, I jumped into seven and I, as a 16-year-old kid, I was fucking cranky. You know, I had the shit haircuts and... And the durries and you know thought thought I could just take on the world and n- number seven was the best position for a cranky little prick like that. Um, you know I used to get these big big blokes that sort of pick up off the ruck and everything. You just whack them and I love that part of it. I always with rugby. I, I was never try scoring machine. You know I, I love the pick and drive obviously, but I love pick and drive because I I, I love that against the big fellas. I love the big fellas that were standing there catching their breath, thinking their job's done, um, and you'd spot them a fucking mile away. And I love just seeing them, thinking their job's done, um, just being big jellies, and then bang, you just shoot past them, and they're like, oh, fuck. Um, so the pick and drive sort of stuck with me, but mainly the mainly the defense. I, I just love, you know, when we, we used to go to training, and, and all the way through, you know, all the way through, um, to the senior grades and stuff, we used to do the um, what's it called, buddy? The tram tracks. So just picking and driving, you know, off off the tram tracks, and you had to make it right up to the halfway line, and then you give the ball back to the other blokes, ten on ten or whatever it was, and pick and drive right back at you. And it was just, I loved it. I was just getting down real low body height and just shooting in there, shoulder bang, and then getting on your feet if you had a chance to attack the ball. Um, yeah, I just loved all that part of it. But anyway, um, yeah, a couple of years at the Highlanders, um, just literally looking up like any young kid, looking up to the older blokes, so looking up to the Ben Swans and oh, the Rowan Butlers and all those sort of blokes in the higher grades, um, Leroy and Dan Brown, all the greats of the Inverell Rugby Club. I grew up just like any kid. And they, you know, little things, little things that they did meant so much to me that. They'd come into the sheds, you know, after I'd be there with black eye at 16, 17, trying to have a durry or something at the back. And they'd walk in and just pat you on the head and say, well done, mate. Well done, DK. And, I, and you know, just that little pat from Ben Swan, um, you know, I was there that I knew. I was there for life. The, the rugby the rugby life was for me. We'd go on bus trips. And back then it was a bit looser. You could get on a bus trip as a 16, as a 17-year-old kid and fucking tie one on. You'd have um, you know, green ginger going all over the place, Stones green ginger and goon and beers and, you know, you were just part of it. And to me, that was the greatest thing ever. And it rugby brought to me then 
something that that nothing else has been able to it brought me discipline uh and it brought me a bit of purpose um before that you know i was breaking the law a bit and i was yeah just a bit of a shit like i wasn't wasn't a real good little kid i suppose um if you ever sit down had a beer with me old man or mum they'd they'd tell you about those days um yeah i wasn't a nice little fella I was all right. Like, I didn't do anything too bad or nothing, but rugby gave me a reason, you know. It gave me something to to, to, to do to really – because I knew playing rugby, you, your actions, um, you know, they flow on to other people, the people around you. If you fuck up, it's um, – you know, it reflects on the players around you. So so it was the first sort of first sort of sport or anything I had where, where I took it seriously, you know. I was bloody right into it. But I um, went went through the grades, and um, when I was seventeen, there's probably the first major turning point in my life, uh, and that's when I went deaf. Um, you know, I, I lost my hearing at, at seventeen. Um, a stupid, stupid mistake on the drink, and I'll, you know, I'll tell tell the you boys about that one day. It was it was a, it was a bit of a funny, funny story now, but. It was obviously a turning point in my life. When you when you lose your hearing, um, you know, I was when it happened, I was um, no, I may as well fucking tell the story, I suppose. Um, anyway, I was, a few of you have heard it before. I was pretty drunk and I jumped on the back of a, a truck, a semi-trailer, trying to get a lift to a mate's party. Um, cruised along and yeah, uh, just when I when I went to jump off, when I got to the street where he lived, I looked down at the road and the truck was doing about 80 kilometres an hour by then and the road was just going underneath me and I had in my I looked to the left and there was guideposts going boom, 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 boom and I thought, oh, right, so there was my plan of jumping to the left and doing a commando roll like on the movies to get off this truck. It's a big semi-trailer, a big Coles truck it was. Um, but if I didn't get off, it would have kept going out sort of western Inverell all the way out to Delungra. Um, so I had to get off. Um, so I ended up just looking at the ground and I just sort of jumped and put my hands over my head. And anyway, I rolled for about 200 metres. And anyone who knows um, knows about the road and, and sort of that sort of thing, it, you know, even motorbikes, the road just eats you. It, it ate all the skin off um, off my body, uh, my arms and legs. You know, you talk about grazers. They had, I had skin that didn't, didn't patch didn't grow back for months and months uh, i spent about six or seven months growing some of the skin back on the, my head but the whiplash when my feet hit the road going at that speed just whiplash the rest of my body and bang my head on the on the road that hard that it that it i'm lucky it didn't just crack my head open like an egg but it um yeah it, it's hit my head and just bust completely snapped the nerve in my ear um anyway don't, that's yeah, it's pretty, pretty, pretty riffy. I can't remember too much about it. Obviously, I was gone. Like it just boom, you fucking, you, you're gone. You're a vegetable after that. And the boys picked me up, and you know they didn't even take me to the hospital. Took me back to the party. But um, I woke up the next day and I couldn't see out of one eye because the swelling was that bad, and that it had completely closed the socket where the eye was, and uh, my jaw was sort of all over. Pretty much the whole side of my head was a fucking watermelon, and um, I couldn't walk. But when I got to my feet, I couldn't walk through a doorway. Um, I, uh, yeah, my balance 
so when you lose an ear, you, one one ear you lose uh, a fair fair chunk of your balance, and and it sort of threw me away. So um, yeah, going like uh, yeah, it took took some getting used to. So losing my losing my hearing in one ear was a, a huge, huge, huge moment as a seventeen year old kid. You know, you know, you've got to adjust everything your whole life. Everything's quieter. Um, People on my right hand side, you can't fucking hear them. It's just a huge adjustment. But the not only the hearing side, but the the balance side was very difficult. It took me oh eighteen months or so before I could really balance. Um, you know, sometimes I'd I'd be I, I pretty much spent eighteen months or so feeling like I just got off a a boat. You know, you get off a boat and you're sort of you're all over the shop you walk down a hallway and both shoulders are bouncing off each side of the walls and yeah um so yeah as a 17 year old kid it was pretty wild pretty wild times but um no complaints it was fucking my fault so there's no one of those things where people say oh it's bad but i you know i did it to myself so when you do something to yourself you just fucking own it and you wear it and you move on and and it took me took me a while, and you know, rugby wise, I, it took me a while. Obviously, and I'm still no good at it. You know, people, I can't tell where noises are coming from. So, uh, yep, yep, yep. I didn't know. I don't know how many times when I was 17, 18, I'd pop the ball to the left, but the runner was on the right, <laughs> things like that. But the balance side was the hardest part. You know, the balance. It's really, really hard to describe, and and the balance in the social side. So it's really hard to. Uh, I, I do it pretty naturally now. A lot of people don't even know I'm deaf in one ear because I, I seem to be able to mask it a little bit, um, and I don't really speak about it too much. Actually, I, I try to, you know, if I'm in a situation where I just like everybody's on the right hand side of me, I sometimes I, I leave that that social environment um, and go and stand somewhere else. Just like it's just it's just embarrassing if you can't hear people, and, and I. I I don't really talk about it much, but I do struggle a lot. I struggle with it, and I, you know, I sit at a table, and someone, someone comes and sits on the right hand side of me. I think, oh fuck, how do I do this? Um, and you're you're constantly reading the room, like reading the room and reading how you can how you can manage it. So it's like, and you know, it's a lot of people got way worse disabilities than me, so I fucking can't whinge about it, but. Um, yeah, it's not too bad, but anyway, that would sort of touch too much on it. But that was just a, a turning point in my life, um, especially, and it's yes, yeah, sort of a bit bizarre to talk about it on here. But um, so yeah, I hope you, those of you who don't know, it's um, it's obviously a big part of my life as well. It's it's led me into things later on in this in this discussion um, with the Australian Deaf Rugby side. So when I look back on it, um, would I would I change it? Fucking oath, I would. I wouldn't wish it on anyone, um, but am I grateful for it? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. So it happened. I fucking owned it. It was my fault. I, if I could go back and stop myself jumping on that truck, I would. But am I fucking grateful for it? Bloody oath. So anyway, anyway, I'll move on from that. Um, okay. So 17, 17, 18, playing rugby, Highlanders, Inverell, drinking beers, trying to pick up Sheilas, you know, the whole the whole nine yards. Good fun. Good, good fun. Um, then I um, 
Yeah, moved down to Newcastle. Went to uni for a couple of years. A few people don't know that because uh, I'm not the most fucking educated sort of bloke. But, yeah, went down to Newcastle for a couple of years, lived with me brothers down there, but I went to the dark side, played league down there um, for Newcastle Uni. Had some bloody good times. Main, the main thing about playing footy down there was I played with my brothers, um, which is very, very special to me. We... Our last game that we ever played together, we played a Masters thing. There's a bit of muck around, but the last serious game we ever played together was uh, a grand final. Um, all three of us, my dad was there, Pete. Um, it oh, would have been the best. It would have, would have been the, the biggest moment ever if we won that, but unfortunately we lost. Thanks, Bill and Bob. I'm pretty sure I bagged a pie, meat pie too. I was a flying fullback then. I actually went all right at league. I um, yeah, got in the... Uh, the the country countryside and um, got in the New South Wales uni side as well. Um, I was a fullback and centre in league. It's, it's hard to even think of it now, but I used to be pretty quick and I used to love the outside in balls and I mean, it's pretty safe under the high ball too. I can't catch a ball to fucking save my life now. Um, but yeah, went to the league for a couple of years, but something happened down there which, which is worth a mention too and um, it's pretty important to me. Um, is the birth of Tyler, my son. Um, I won't go too much into it. It's, you know, if he, for those of you blokes out there that have got kids, um, you know, every, every, the birth of every kid is, is fucking special uh, and life-changing. For, for me, as a, you know, 18, I was just 18 when, when Tyler was born and um, as an 18-year-old kid, I was fucking as loose as they come. You think, you think of the loosest 18-year-old, Playing footy, drinking piss, just you know, look always looking for Sheila's pre bloody social media days, though. So you had to wine and dine them back then. Um, nah, full of shit. Fucking talking shit. I used to just pick them up at the pub. Um, but yeah, he's like back then to the birth of Tyler. I couldn't have, you know, I sort of look at it as a bit that, that kind of saved me a bit. Um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd hate to think of what trajectory I was on before that. Before, before I had this human being, I was responsible for, and I, I, you know, people have kids at way younger ages, but fucking hell, 18's young, eh? Like when to have this kid, twenty four hour attention, and mate, I was without going into too much. I was in a pretty weird relationship then too, which a lot of us have been through. You know, you go through these bloody relationships that are hot and cold. And they're fucking when they're when they're cold, they're ferocious. I was in a real destructive one. But at the end of the day, I always had Tyler. Like Tyler, Tyler's my boy, um, and he he saved me. You know, I'd, I'd hate to think of any other any other trip from that point in time. Um, and a lot of you blokes would relate to this when you when you have your first kid, no matter what age you are. From that point in time, uh, I remember someone said to me some once, and I and I've I've repeated it um, when when mates have had kids because it really stuck with me back then. But they. They said, um, when when that first kid's born, it's the last time you'll put yourself first. Um, and it was. I couldn't have been, couldn't have said anything more true or um, spot on. You know, every everything from then on was for him. Yeah, you still you still have your own life, you still run your own race and stuff, but in the background it's it's for your kids. Uh, Tyler then, he's, he's my boy. But he had a fucking, he had a great, great growing up. He's, you know, him and his uncles and me and 
um, you know, on and off relationship with with his mum, which you know it's just part of life. But he came on a rug, on footy footy trip buses. We went there and played at Bathurst and stuff. And I'd, I'd I'd be the only dad. I was the only dad at uni. You know, we're uni uni blokes on the drink playing footy. And I used to take Tyler just because I had fucking no one to look after. Even you know, we're on the bus back, and I've I've never gone half hearted on a bus trip. So I'm blind back and. You know, Tyler sitting up the front on one of my mate's knees and happy as Larry, the big fella. You know, he'd be sitting on the sideline. But anyway, that, yeah, so that's that was just a bit of a bit of a time in my life I thought I'd mention. But, um, yeah, it's no secret that a lot of you blokes out there would understand that fully. Um, then I moved to Goldie, a couple of years on the Goldie. Then uh, it was the first – there was a couple of years where I didn't play footy. Um, didn't play footy. So from 20 – and that's when Caitlin, my daughter, was born – um, up there, she's a Queensland girl, born on the Goldie. But yeah, it's the only couple of years in my adult life, I, I didn't play footy. Um, you know, I, the same thing on and off breakups, fucking the whole caboodle, but all just about Tyler and Caitlin then. And then uh, without going in too far, moved back to Inverell. So moved back to Inverell because that's where um, Tyler and Caitlin went. So I, I go where they go. Um, there's no grey area there, but I, 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 um, Got back to Inverell, straight back into footy. You know, it's those small country towns like Inverell, and I imagine a few boys talking about Burke and and places like that, and um, even Narrabri and stuff. You you go back and you're straight back into it. You know, you're straight back into the same group of mates doing the same fucking thing, but it's tops. Yeah, it's good fun. You're still out the dam on the weekends, lighting a fire and sinking piss and trying to pick up a sheila and you know talking shit and your mates is and you know you want. You, Getting into blues and going to the same stuff, but at the end of the day, your your footy footy's your regular footy's your regular thing that you do for that bloody six months of the year, and um, the rest of the year just kind of revolves around that. Um, but it, I went back there, and you know, I was starting to mature. Then started playing some pretty good footy. Um, I went through reserve grade and the Highlanders, and started getting a bit of a sniff in first grade over the next few years, um, which was great. But there's, there's a and this is, I mean, I don't want to sound dramatic again, but there's a there's a bloke who was coaching first grade back then called Peter Malcolm. Uh, great fella. Great fella, don't get me wrong. Real good fella and a, a good servant to the club. He um, yeah, did really well for the Highlanders and he was a great coach, but fuck, he wouldn't get me in that first grade. Eh? He kept saying I was too small for a seven, too small for a seven. I got that so many times. A couple of times, um, there's a bloke called Clarkie I'll talk about later. They, they asked me to... They said, we've got to get DK. Got to get DK from reserve grade, fucking, especially if uh, someone went down or someone was injured. And, you know, he'd get me there at training and then he'd just say, oh, sorry, mate, you're just too small. Like, he'd say that to me. You're just too small. I'm like, fuck. Jeez, he used to give me the shits. And here I am at, at 41, you know, this is back when I'm 21. So this is 20 years ago. First grade coach of Inverell, you know, the club that I fucking bleed for and that my whole world revolves around. Say so, no, sorry, mate. You're just too small, DK. Fucking hell. You know, is it, everyone's got their motivations, and I won't go. I won't go on to say this, that sort of motivated me for my life or anything like that. But it sure, it fuck did back then. You know, and and I I get it. I was too small. Yeah, you know, we we're playing against Moree with Cambridge and oh, some of those boys, some of those legends of the club that were just monsters. You know, big, hard men. And I'm a 22, 23, 24-year-old and 
you know, and I've never been any bigger than I am now, I suppose. I've fucking, you know, even back then I was probably even skinnier. Um, so I had a, bit, a little bit less weight. But, yeah, it just sort of stuck with me a bit. And I, I don't think I've talked about it once since then until now. Um, it's kind of good to talk about it. Um, but, yeah, just a few times at training, sorry, mate, you're just too small anyway. Fuck, the rest is history. Then I, I went on and um, got a few starts in first grade and just fucking I was a – back then I was a bit of a stealing freak. I just loved the steal. I, I thought possession is everything in this game. When I got to the senior grades, like senior grades are a bit more structured, but possession is everything. That's what I uh, – possession and, and defence. You know, I, I played with some fucking slick backs and slick fullbacks and wingers and these – the fastest blokes I've ever known, but I thought possession, we need possession. So wouldn't matter if there's 10 minutes to go, we were winning by 30, 40. If we were, and if, if they were running, I'd think I've got to get this ball off them. I've got to, got to rip this off somehow. I've got to fly in second, bide me time. If I knew there was a, a bigger bloke around me to make the tackle and then I'd fly in after it. Uh, I love that. I love that part of the game. Um, so yeah, anyway, sort of, Got, got eventually got into first grade, so the same story. Got into first grade, oh, and then the big one. And this is a, you know, this is, they talk talk about moments in my life. And this is this is the 2006 was the the year for me. Um, that was my first year as I, I got asked by the the new coach Andrew Fraser. Um, he asked me to captain the side. Um, I'd become a bit of a talker. You boys know me as a bit of a talker. Fucking carry on a bit too much, actually. But back then, I, I I felt like what I was saying was right and what needed to be said, um, because I was I was that connected to it. It's easy to talk if you're connected to the cause. I believe if you if your if your heart's in it and you're fucking connected to it, um, you know, you've been to every training session, you've been through all. I found I found grabbing a bloke and looking him in the eye and talking to him. I just I just found it. Fucking second nature to me, and I, I loved it. I loved that part of the game. Um, so yeah, when I was asked to be to captain the side, you know, there's there's a few guys in that Inverell side then that are you know legends of the club now, and they're, and they're great great mates of mine. But they'd been in first grade for a lot of years, so to have this 26 um, year old um, called DK <laughs> come and fucking take the reins as as captain was was. Um, Big ask, and there's been so many, so many blokes I looked up to before that. But um, Fraze put a, a lot of faith in me then. Um, I remember him talking to me about it, and I remember um, just thinking I, I just didn't want to fuck up. You know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to say anything that people would think was funny. I didn't want to say it, but I didn't want to say anything just for the sake of saying anything, saying things like some people do. But Fraze really put some faith in me then. Um, and I couldn't thank him more because that that changed my life. That gave me when I talk about having purpose, rugby giving you purpose. Holy fuck! Times that by a hundred when you're the first grade captain of Inverell. Back then, that was that was like I'd, I was on top of the world. I was on top of the world, but I had the weight of the world as well. I know that sounds dramatic, and you know it's a country town. I'm not playing for fucking the Reds or. Or you know any professional team, but in our world that was it. You know in my world then nothing else mattered. Um, what I, I, I knew 
the things that I said and um, things that I did would impact performance of the players around me. Decisions I made on the field, I could no longer just be that angry guy sniffing around for a play. I, I had to strate- think strategically um, and I had to think responsibly. And I, I still believe that, that that sort of that decision to make me captain back then and what I had to take on and, and how I took it on, like I, I honestly, it was it was more important to me than anything, more important to me than any job. Obviously, not more important than my kids and stuff like that. But you know, it was my world. I, I, I had to get it done, um, and I started to started to invest myself a bit into the personalities of the players. Um, you know, getting to know them a bit more instead of just turning up and getting on the drink with them. I started to ask some questions. I started listening to the players. Um, you know, my front rowers, if I, if he was feeling a bit down, I'd, I'd start listening to him and just asking him, you know, even if it was a like a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night or something. Um, and I really, really thrived on it. And then, oh, you know, I've told the story a million times, but I'll fucking tell it again. Um, but, yeah, Inverell side hadn't won a first grade premiership in, in 118 years of trying. 118 fucking years. Yeah, there's a lot of clubs that have only been around. I mean, we're, I'm fortunate enough to be in the 25th year with the Vikings, which is wonderful. But 118 years, and could little old Inverell um, hadn't won a premiership. There's so many other good teams around, around in that Central North competition, but I always believe that there's so many other teams with money. Uh, I, I obviously don't know, but... You know, Maury got cotton, Narrabri got cotton in the rural industry and, you know, Tamworth is Tamworth. Tamworth have got fucking everything. And he's in Varel. You know, we've got nabbies and a couple of blokes with farms. Um, but we're good bastards and we're, we're blokes that wanted to win and it, it sort of a huge learning curve for me was that year and we started to win games and... You know, we our, our coach Andrew Fraser started saying to us very early on. Actually, he started saying, "You know, we can win this comp. Group of blokes like you, we can win it." You know, before that, you know, we were, I remember the years before we were getting belted eighty nil some games. Um, no one really thought that we could do it. Um, and Fraser, he just he, he early on in the year, you know, three or four games in, he started telling us, you, you can do this, boys. It's not impossible. No one had ever thought Inverell would win a competition. But anyway, we, we went through, we got through. And even, to make it even sweeter, we won that, won that game and we won the right to host the grand final. Now, there's, I don't know, if you talk to the diehard people of any small country town and they talk about the sporting moments of a of a town, even before the result of that game, it was huge. It was the biggest thing I've, I've ever really been a part of, both personally, um, for personal reasons. That was the that was the final. That was the year as well that my uh, Tyler and Caitlin's mum uh, parted ways. So there was a bit of personal stuff there. But I, even that, I just I didn't want to mention that to the boys at the time. It was for me. There was nothing more important than my men um, their lives and and what we what we could achieve if we wanted it bad enough and that's 
It's not been dramatic at all. It's just the fucking way it was. Honestly, there's, I was invested in it. I've never been more invested in anything in my life. And I, until this day, I'd, we used to have a, a catchphrase that year. And it was whatever it takes. And fuck, it rings true because I, I can't think of anything. I, you know, there's in all seriousness, there's not much I wouldn't have done to to get the result that year. Anyway, we we got that grand final, and I remember the build up to it and the the pressure and um, oh jeez, I, I just remember each each week was a journey, and each week was emotional, emotional, emotional. You know, we'd win these games, then to secure a great a grand final and, and everyone when you're in a small country town when you start doing that when you have a year like that people come out of the woodworks people come from all over the blokes that haven't watched the Highlanders game they come back and they it just brings something alive in the town it brings something alive in all the ex-players and I always say and I always preach that, that it's that it's just about like every successful club is about the bloke that wore the jersey before you and that fuck I remember that year, just people coming out and there's newspaper, newspaper articles and prime news coming into my work and wanted to chat. And, you know, you put all that noise aside every Tuesday and Thursday night and then you definitely put it aside on the Saturday. And I remember the, the week beforehand, like, work was a no-brainer. You can't do fucking work. Like it's, it's just you're just on the cusp of something and it's something very special. And those of you out there that have won – you know, green finals and stuff like that would would understand. But the one the one the reason this was so special is because it never happened before, never. You know the pictures on the the club at the clubhouse of those, you know, old black and white photos of those blokes wearing those leather straps around their head to stop their cauliflower ears and all that sort of stuff. And here we are, here we were, and um, you know, I was I was the captain of the side, and, and holy dooly, it was just it engulfed me. It's the only way to describe it. Um, it engulfed me. It, be, it became everything I was, um, every, and I and I put my life into it. I put every ounce of myself into it, um, and that's that's why that I feel it changed me. We we won. We won. We won. Um, we won that year and. For the first time in 118 years, I lifted that shield and I turned around. I lifted it to my men first, then I lifted it to the crown. And I remember, I remember, you know, a lot of people talk about big moments in their life and it's a bit of a haze, but I remember it. I remember it because it, I remember my parents. I remember looking at a, at a crowd of people, you know, grown men, 60-year-olds, 50-year-olds, crying and screaming and, it just meant so much to them. You know, all the stuff that you learn in rugby and the highs and lows and, oh, mate, that's moments like that make you realise it's bigger than you. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than my players. That's that's as good as it gets. You know, that's, to me, that moment, holding it to that crowd, um, I said my speeches and I said them pretty good, you know, the, the technical stuff, but I pointed at Andrew Fraser um, and there's a famous photo at the clubhouse of me with the shield up high in one hand for the first time in history and the other hand pointing, you know, 
you aim it straight down my finger and it's pointing straight to Andrew Fraser because um, he's the bloke that told us that it's possible. He's the bloke that told a heap of pissheads and farmers and loose units from, from Inverell that it was possible. Uh, and I'm forever grateful for him to him for that. Um, I love him dearly, Fraser. Big fella. He's, I think he listens to this a bit, so I love you, Fraser. But the but I remember the players. That's what I remember. I remember the cuddles and um, there's a bloke called Simon Clark. A few of you have been lucky to meet. He, you know, the, all those players that day, they, they hold a special place in my heart and my memory and um, not only my rugby journey but my life journey. Um, you know, and then, you know, Big Joseph, um, you know, what he did that day was incredible. I still believe he won the game for us that day, Big Joey. Like he's done so many years afterwards. He's, you know, he did it against us here at the Vikings once. And such a good bloke, such a good warrior, um, such a good mate, um, such a good soldier back then. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here now talking to you guys talking on this another fucking 20 minutes has gone and I'm choking up a bit um I'll be honest with you I, I, you know that's and that's the beauty of it that's the magic of it you know it's bigger than us stuff like that and I for you, for those of you out there I know a lot of you have experienced grand finals and stuff but for those of you that haven't fuck I hope you do you know because think there's some old saying about you know nothing's nothing's worth it unless you bled for it, and when you've when you've truly bled for it and put your heart and soul into something, and it's you know over a long long time um, to get it is just euphoric. It's the only way to describe it. Um, and I still get still back in Inverell, you know, I still get back there and get these young blokes on the piss and they were there that day. You know, fucking young I see pictures and stuff of young blokes and and girls and that and there that were that were the, that were only kids and stuff then. It's crazy to think how, how far time's gone, but holy dooly, it stays with you. But we changed something in the town then. We changed something all of a sudden, you know, the league teams were, were going good as well, but all of a sudden there was one there was a, for that period of time and for the next five years following, there was only one sports team in Nimbrell. Um, in my in our world anyway. I mean, I love the, the Hawkeys boys and the Saints and the mighty Tinga Tigers. I had a stint with Tinga um, when I played both um, for a year, a couple of years later. But So I love them to death, but, you know, we were on a trajectory then. This is – that was the, the highest of the high and we wanted – Every every Highlander coming through to realise that that's the platform, that's the standard, and so we went about on this <laughs> fucking roundabout journey for the next four years. We made we made four four grand finals, yeah, unheard of, and we won two of them. One one in two thousand eight again, and that was the one in two thousand eight. We come from bloody fourth. We come right from the back and oh just scraped 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 through these games and then played the mighty Tamworth bloody pirates in Tamworth 
you know, and, and at that stage they were unbeatable. They went on after that to win fuck knows how many. Such a good, good side and moods and all those boys. And, and to their credit, good on them. You know, they went on a bit of a bit of a dynasty themselves after that, but we won that one in 2008. And many of the same blokes were there. My, my memory after that game is a bit different. Um, it was a second premiership. The, you know, the, the loss of the, the other two grand finals was pretty bad, but that second premiership was very, very special. Woodsy was there. Ah, Woodsy, fuck, I love you, mate. You were there. Uh, it was a very, very special moment. And But that one was more exhaustion. We, we were under the pump. That's my biggest memory of that game is is um that last ten minutes and it's no and this isn't exaggerating but we were we were gone but that they score where it's all over and they were just pumping us on that line on our own line and we had blokes it's one of those games where you get up you get their body height down low exactly what I was talking about what I used to love as a young fella and that last ten minutes you're just thinking please please let there be a knock on please let there be something so. So we, everyone was just doing their best and everyone was flogged. But in on that stage, in that moment, the Tamworth crowd going nuts, I think it saved us that we were down in front of this. There's this metal sign on the uh, eastern side of the field and there was a whole huge crowd of Highlanders, Walker Rams, uh, a few more re guys because everyone wanted us to win. Everyone thought Inverell can do this against the mighty... Um, Pirates, Timworth Pirates, and they were just banging that sign and that sign, of that, that noise of that sign, just a tin sign that went all the way across and people just banging it, screaming, and, you know, players singing Highlander, Highlander, and we held them out. And then I remember when the, the, riff, the ref blew it off and we'd won it, we'd done it. I remember Big Joseph picking me up um, and I was so exhausted. I think that's the most drained... I don't know if I was more exhausted from the game or emotionally. Um, I remember, remember the speeches and stuff, and I'd, you know, I'd, I'd, I was crying in my speeches. I remember saying to the boys that before we run out that this is this is what people this is what people say rugby is all about, and I was like, fuck that! This is what life's all about. It's what life's all about. And fuck it, rains true. To that sacrifice and that journey, and doing it for the blokes around you, and all those cliches, fuck, they're true. It's what life's all about. Um, yeah, we won that one. That was good. Oh, geez, obviously, you know, I'm getting into the the, the stories of these, and I hope I'm not bloody boring you out there. Hey, I, like, I'm, it's just crazy. I'm just sitting here talking about it, talking to myself, having a beer. <laughs> But obviously the, the parties and stuff behind the scenes, you know, the the silly Sundays and Mad Mondays, I don't need to explain that to you boys. Fucking awesome. The best of times. You know, the best of times. But even better when you've earned it. I've been on you know, three or four silly Sundays that we've lost. It's been a losing grand final. And they're not as good. And I'm, I really hope the boys get, get a silly Sunday this year after a winning one. But, um, yeah, so you boys all know all that background stuff, the parties and the fucking wild yarns, and they're all fantastic times. So I'd definitely do them all again. 
Right, oh, no, better move on. Um, I know I keep go- I'm sort of going on a bit, but I, I hope you're still with me. Hope you're still listening, you blokes. Um, yeah, because it's 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 sort of coming out to be pretty easy now. Um, you know, I'm a bit lubed up, had a few beers, but you know it's, it's kind of refreshing to talk about it. So I, I hope I'm not boring you. I hope you're sitting there listening, and hope you can blokes can kind of relate to it a bit. Um, you know, relate to some of this stuff because there's no sarcasms or anything. It's fucking spot on. This is sort of all pieces of my puzzle, I suppose. Um, and I couldn't be more honest with you. Um, anyway, that's, that was a good era. We had a good, real good era there at the, at the Highlanders. You know, after we won 2006 and 2008 uh, and a couple of grand finals, you know, absolutely gutted in a few of those grand finals that, you know, to lose any, any of you out there, you've obviously, those of you that have lost grand finals before, it's, it drains you. Like it's, Everyone goes around and thanks each other and stuff, but you, it's just opportunity lost. I hate it. It's fucked. There's no doubt about it. It's fucked. Um, you start for, – for a long time, you, you think of the what-ifs, especially when you watch footages of the game. That's why I don't watch any old grand finals, especially losses. Like, there's just so many what-ifs. Like, what if we did this? Fuck, why didn't we kick it out then? Why, why didn't we do this? What – you know – doesn't do any good on the day it's you know there's so many contributing factors um i remember the I'm, you know and everyone whinges about referees calls and stuff i'll fucking shout out to there's a certain referee um who ref a grand final we had in tenworth and cabes could probably talk about this but um i still believe he he took the game away from us that's my personal opinion i, I believe he he took that premiership away from us, that referee, and um, I, you know, I, I'd, I'd clashed heads with him quite a fair bit, especially because I, I went to a few Central North meetings and stuff where uh, I believe what he was saying was wrong. Um, you know, a lot of sort of that sort of stuff, but I always maintained that I spoke politely and respectful to him. Um, mind you, there's the whole zone knows that anyone from Central North probably knows who I'm talking about. A certain referee back in sort of that sort of. Um, you know, 2006 to 2012, he was around then. He probably still is around, prick. Anyway, don't want to win too much about a referee, but I remember going up to him at one stage and I said, mate, is this about me? He's in the middle of a grand final and he's like, what are you What are you talking about? And I said, mate, if, if this is about me, I'll fucking take myself off now. I'll go off. I won't come back on. Don't punish my fucking players. He was just pinging them for everyone and I thought – I had to be clear to make sure. I thought I thought it was just a personal thing with me. Um, you know, refs are human too, um, and although I, I fucking swear I've always been respectful um, to referees and I've always spoken politely and I've never gone off at them or anything like that. Um, but at that time, and I remember feeling guilty about it, and I mate, to this day I stand by it. I would have fucking walked straight off that field if he if he nodded his head or gave any indication that the the, the decisions, the shit, fucking bullshit decisions were about me. I would have left the grand final. Anyway, but the, you know, the, after that, I sort of 2010 and that, but in that in that sort of late 2000, before the 2010, something else it really happened to me and it's, it's definitely a part of this story. Um, I started to get involved with the Australian deaf rugby side. Um, I don't talk to you guys too much about it. A few of you, have, we've, I've, I've explained it to you, and you might have seen a couple of pictures on, on social media, but it's 
it's very fucking important to me. It, um, I didn't realize sort of back then, I, I didn't even know it existed. I, I knew Paulie Young. Um, so Paul, I knew Paulie had something to do with it, but uh, you know, social media wasn't that pumping back then. And, and, um, I didn't realize that I qualified only having only been deaf in one ear. I thought you had to be fully deaf like Paulie. Um, anyway, I, I, I learned that the, the cutoff point, um, to, get picked in the Australian Deaf Rugby Sword and to try out for him was 50%. Um, and I'd played with Paulie for a lot of years before that, um, big Paulie Young, and he didn't actually know I was, I was deaf in one ear. When he found out, he's like, fuck, and he got onto the Australian coach at the time and uh, got me going to a few trials. I went down to Sydney and um, at the time, I, I didn't know what, what, what to expect. Um, and I, I, I remember played down in Sydney, and I had a blinder. I had a fucking blinder. I, um, you know, those pick and drives, I, I snuck through about six of them. Um, you know, they, the, the team were playing against down there, um, and this is in front of the Australian coach and stuff, and not only that, I, mate, I was stealing balls all over the place. I was popping little passes, putting, I was, you know, just one of those games that went really, really well. Um, but I... I'll never forget, it. and this is this is the first. And, and when I talk about these deaf rugby stuff, it's really really hard to not get a get carried away. Um, I'll try not to. I'll try to keep it pretty pretty still. But um, I scored a try under the post in that game, and I turned around and, and obviously in the deaf community you don't clap, so clapping's useless. You just put both your hands above your head. And wave your fingers, so wave your move your hands around, and that's how they clap. No, I've never been exposed to that. I've never seen that before. Obviously, I've only been half deaf. I've never have to. I've never had to sign. I've never never thought of learning Auslan or sign language. But I remember putting that ball down, and I turned around, and I had all these players running at me with their hands up in the air. Um, it was fucking special, eh? It was incredible. And once again. It made me think that it's it's bigger than me again. You know, but here's me just trying to impress these Australian coaches, and and I turn around and it's more important than that. You know, it means means something to these guys, and and that was a, that was the first game down in Sydney. We went up to Cloundra and did a couple of other trials and stuff, and I never looked back. Um, I never looked back. Anything, anything. Or opportunity, I, I got phone calls, and I, I was I was sort of still in me me prime a bit back then. So, so I, I actually believe I, I played pretty good footy. But the more I was around the Australian deaf side, and and the more we toured, and the more we sort of did did things in different communities with the deaf community, I, I started to feel like I was, um, even though I'm only deaf in one ear, I started to feel like I'm a part of a, a different community that I didn't even know existed. Um, I started to relate to the players. You know, I started to meet people. You know, back in Inverell and that, I'd, I'd never really knew anyone that was that was de- that had a hearing impairment except for Paulie. Um, I, I just didn't. I, I don't know why. And I, 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 you know, I started to being around the deaf guys. I started to really pick up on, um, you know, why what like the struggles they have. And mind you, I'm only deaf in one ear, so I started feeling very blessed. Um, but I'll tell you what, they're fucking best people. Honestly, they're 
you know, even the, even the guys that are completely deaf, holy dooly, they're the most brightest, fantastic people. Um, and the barriers and stuff they overcome just to, oh, just to walk into a rugby club and ask if they can play. Oh, geez. It's really hard to not get caught up in the emotion of that. But more importantly to me, I started to um, meet their families. You know, I started, would go away on um, deaf rugby, Australian deaf rugby tours and trips and I started to meet their their wives and their kids and their, oh, their mums and dads. Uh, and obviously because I could communicate, they would, a lot of them would beeline to me, you know, at after functions and stuff like that. And, and, I'd, and I could see what it meant to them. You know, I've seen, I won't, I won't sort of go into poorly too much, but I've seen his dad very emotional and his dad's told me what it meant for him to start playing for the Highlanders. Um, how it changed his life. You know, it's hard for anyone with a disability, no matter what, but a hearing disability, it's so fucking frightening for them to walk into a hearing club and ask if they can try and play. I think I think for any bloke out there to do that is just so fucking brave. Um, I really, really got the deepest respect for them. Um, and they, you know, to meet their families and to see grown men like dad's just emotional just because their son's involved in a team sport you know unfortunately a lot of people with a hearing disability and you know i'll only spend a couple of minutes on the on this sort of side of it i don't want to bore you guys but a lot of people with a hearing disability they sit at home on their fucking computer um you know because it's too hard it's too hard to meet people. How do you walk into a pub and just say, G'day, mate, my name's Dave, and start chatting to a bloke if you can't even hear him? Um, so how is it, you know, they, especially ones that are deaf from a small age, how do they, when they're at school, if someone says, you know, you want to play rugby, fuck no. They couldn't think anything worse because it's too awkward. They can't hear what the coach is saying. They can't learn. They can't learn the rules. It's just so hard and challenging for them. It's just too hard. And not only that, Deaf, a lot of deaf people would feel that they're holding everyone back. Even if the coach or teacher or whatever of that particular sport would spend the extra time on explaining it to him and physically showing him what he's talking about, you know, you, the, the feeling that you're holding the rest of the team back, the productiveness, it's, oh, it's incredible. But anyway, I started to really get caught up in the – um, in the journey that was Australian Deaf Rugby and, and the, the genuine um, and the – what's it? So genuinity, if that's a fucking word, I don't know. But the genuinity <laughs> – I'm making up my own words now – of what it does and what it does and what it does to the players and their families. And, and, and it opened my eyes to this huge, big deaf community. There's a lot of a lot of hearing-impaired people out there. Um and holy dooly, the characters and the the stories of how they went deaf and you know things they've had to overcome and a lot of it I could I could relate to, especially with a lot of the guys that were sort of similar hearing disability to me, and um, it was just incredible. Yeah, but back then I was still playing Highlanders, and you know we Cabe started the the Hogs, so we we're back doing them like we we're doing Bondi tens, and we'd had a couple of trips to Darwin with um, Jimmy Dadassel that organised the 
country king browns up there so still living the rugby dream you know still traveling with me mates drinking piss and fucking partying on but the the deaf side of it although it was fun it was a serious side as well and and character building as well like it really opened me eyes to the the struggles and and how how lucky we are and how, how lucky i am to still have one here um i've been and not many people know this i've the last specialist the last two actually they've told me that um because i've got one ear that's taking the brunt so taking all the noise um like anything like any human parts or mechanical parts when i sort of hit the 50 odd which i'm fucking 41 now but you know they're expecting it to deteriorate um which is a reality i'll have to face then but fucking that's then um i'll learn a bit of sign language in between but um that's that's just life and and you know I, i'm very very blessed compared to a lot of these guys so all all of my journey and i'm still involved in the, the australian deaf rugby but all my journey with them i've just been in awe of them in awe of the players and what they've overcome um in their personal life and i don't know any of you boys work in the disability sector fucking hell it's you talk about purpose um and how you can better people's lives, fuck me. There's, there's not much better ways you can do it than with, with people like that who genuinely, genuinely deserve it. Um, and they've been throwing a, throwing a curveball at some stage in their life that, um, you know, they've they've had to overcome. It's just incredible. Um, when we went, we went down to the Deaf Games. That was my first, real sort of serious part. We went down there and I played for New South Wales in the Deaf Games. So there's a Deaf Games. Um, that was the first year they had rugby sevens, and I was in the New South Wales. I captained the New South Wales team, and there we um, it had so it had all the different states, and it also had Fiji and and that in it as well. Fiji had a couple of teams, and yeah, we took out the gold medal. It was pretty pretty special, and I got player of the. You know, I'm starting to blow wind up my own ass. Player of the bloody player of the the, the competition. Um, yeah, it's pretty special. I've got, I've got a bit of a pool room happening. A few of you boys hopefully be lucky enough to have a beer with me down in my little bit of a pool room and see me. It's a gold medal um, from the Deaf Games, so that's that's right up there. Uh, it was pretty special to me and the, the the guys I was with at the time as well. The, um, you know, I've, I've seen families just break down. Um, I had a young guy, um, young young guy, completely deaf from Canberra. And he scored a try in that game, and I've um, oh, I've never seen his like the, his parents were just ridiculous, just just sobbing, sobbing. Um, oh, geez, it gets to me now. I tell you, I'm just so proud. You know, we all want the best for our kids. Um, and this young man had been very brave and said that he wanted to be a part of it. Despite his disability, despite the the fear and all that sort of stuff that comes with it, and he scored this try against Fiji in the corner. I remember it clear as day. Um, it was only seven, so the game game finished. You know, matter of minutes after that, and oh, to see his parents, you know, that sort of pride in their son. And this is what our game does, people. This is what our game does. Um, all the all the party and all that sort of stuff aside, 
that young man. And he went on to play He's for the Australian Deaf Rugby. He played till a couple of years ago. He um, hurt himself pretty bad, but mate, he's he's a lifetime mate of mine. I'm very, very blessed um, to be mates with him and to have, have spent some of these moments with him. But that's that view of his parents that day was, was pretty special. Um, yeah, it sort of sits with me. And, the, and even the little signs, sometimes when we play for the Australian Deaf Rugby, some of the deaf kids from deaf schools, they do these signs up for you. Um, and, you know, we're, we're not paid professionals and, you know, I'm, I'm nothing special, that's for sure. But, you know, I've never been a professional player. I've never been paid a cent for any game I've ever played. But you feel like a superstar. And you feel just because you mean something to those little kids um, and you've got a bit bit of an influence on them. Um, and, and that's why I loved I loved, loved sort of going and spending time with them, with the families after the game and especially with, with Adrian, the young man I just spoke about, going and shaking the dad's hand and saying you should be very proud of your son. He played well and, you know, words that he, as a father, with a, with a child with a disability, words that he never thought he'd hear. It's that simple. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I was lucky enough. First actual test I played for Australia, I was in in Japan. Got to go to Japan. Um, and I've told a few different stories there with the boys over the year, but I was, holy shit, I was a wreck. You know, it's only, it's only Australian deaf rugby, obviously, but... You know, you're still standing for your national anthem. And if there's anything, anything that can pull a bloke's heartstrings, and I really, really hope you blokes get to, you know, everyone out there, I wish everyone could experience this because I just stand there uh, with that coat of arms on your chest, you know, burning into your chest and the national anthem playing. Oh, jeez, mate. Oh, it gets you. It gets you. I, um, Paulie Young, my great friend Paulie Young, said to me after that game, um, he had his cochlea, cochleas in, and I was, because I half communicate with him fairly well, and I remember having a beer, and I said to him, and I've told this story too, but it's so true. I said, mate, how, and this is after we beat Japan, we beat them nearly 50 nil, we smashed them. But I said to him, mate, how good was that national anthem? And he looked at me with his beer and he said, I, I couldn't hear it, but I could feel it. Ah, fucking hell. Gets me every time, eh? You boys see me when I'm um, at the Vikings when I bang my chest. And he did that just twice when he said, in Paulie's voice, um, his unique voice. Couldn't hear it, but I could feel it. You know, fuck everything else. That's what matters, isn't it? You know, they, I heard once someone say something. People, people won't re- remember the things you've done, but they, they'll always remember how you made them feel. And fucking Big Paulie, one of the one of the best blokes I've ever known in my life, and he had me that day when he said that. Um, he's got me now, fucking 41 years old, and he's got me now. Talking to you blokes. 
But we we played two tests over there against Japan and we fucking towed them up both times. But, geez, it was a good experience. We went to a deaf school there. Uh, that was pretty special. Uh, but it really opened my eyes and educated me on what, what Australian deaf rugby can do. We're, you know, the, the deaf kids in, in – we're very lucky if you've got a disability in Australia. Um, you can you – know, there's a lot of support things in place, but over there they get shunned. Uh, the, for some reason, and I, I, don't, I don't know the ins and outs of it, but the Japanese culture of these kids just, just get stuck in this school with no no basics. That was just a shithole. And I was like, yeah, you know, they, if you've got a disability, you, you, I, think, I don't know, this is just my opinion, but in that country, if you've got a disability, if you're born deaf, you know you have no value to the family. Um Anyway, we we did a couple of rugby drills, and you know the little Japanese fellas and little Japanese kids of all different ages at primary school and high school, and they were they treated us like celebrities. It was pretty cool. It was pretty cool, and it was it was great. You know, you'd throw them a hat, and the ten of them would fight over it. And we did a few rugby drills, and they were hopeless. Well, they were hopeless little fellas. Um, but yeah, anyway, I've told the story before I, I, I had heaps of kit I had a, I always get extra kit anyone who tours with me knows I get heaps of kit and I I gave heaps of it away I couldn't I was you know always trying to keep some for myself obviously but I was trying to give it away because I could just see these little Japanese kids just lighten up when you give them a hat you know a shitty little visor although I wish I still had some of them but um yeah I gave this kid my hat um and he was a bit older like he was a bit solider and he did all right when we we're doing these line-out drills, and he's just a huge, big green, all crooked teeth and that. But he was a cool little fella, um, and he, he he kept saying, "So the sign for thank you is, you know, you hand to your chin and then away." And he, I reckon, he spent the whole day just doing that to me, and I was like, "It's okay." Like he just, just the Japanese culture. He just kept thanking me, thanking me. So I gave him my hat, and anyway, it was a couple of years later. We were organising the um, the deaf. World Sevens down here, they sent a photo of the this school team that was going to tour, Japanese school team, and yeah, there's a little photo, and and oh geez, it gets oh, fucking got me again. Um, yeah, this little fellow had my hat on. Yeah, a couple of years later, fucking still had my hat on, the little dude. So, us, yeah, I don't know, obviously, but us being there that day. You know, he's kept playing. Probably a few of the other ones were probably there as well, but, you know, I don't know. you got no idea, but, you know, but he, he has little crooked teeth with my hat on. Ah, <laughs> oh, fuck, I love that. Um, I don't know what, where they are, what they're doing. I know Japan, Def Rugby is still going strong because we, we've been back there again. And, you know, they're, they're, they're going really good. I really, really love Japanese, but the rugby wise, um, you know, some pretty special moments over there. Um, I was very, very lucky to be a part of it and the, the whole tour. And you know, I've, I've, with the deaf rugby, I've, I've toured a bit from then. Um, yeah, got in New Zealand a couple of times, uh, Samoa as well. But we've played New Zealand here. Obviously, the easiest, easiest tests are the ones, or the easiest to organise are the ones where either New Zealand come over here, but. You know, facing off to the haka, it's pretty special as well. You know, we've all got mates, Kiwi mates and that that we've seen do the haka, but to do it before a footy game, 
Um, you know, there's full respect, full respect for the Haka. Um, so much respect for it. But at the time, if anything, it, every time I've faced off to the Haka and I've faced off to the Haka of Samoa as well, but if anything in me and everyone does it personally, like I, so much respect, but it fires me up. Like I, I'm, I'm like a bat out, of, like a funny. I was going to say bat out of the gates, but I'm, I'm fucking bull out of the gates. As soon as the kickoff goes after that, I, it fires me up standing in front of it. But I've always had that attitude, and I think it goes back to the "you're too small," DK. You know that it goes back to that. You say that, fucking hell, we're on. You know we're. Stand looking at the haka with all due respect, and I've got so much respect for the whole New Zealand culture and the Samoan culture as well. But like, as soon as it's done, kick that ball off. I'm going to fucking take heads off here. That was my attitude, you know. And the blokes around me, let's fucking cut these blokes in half. You know, that's we're playing. We've got once again with that that um, coat of arms on your chest. It's time to fucking go to work, boys. And you know, when you're playing for your country, even though it is only deaf rugby, Australian deaf rugby, um, yeah, but it doesn't change my attitude. And, and you boys that know me, especially in my prime, would know what I'd be like. The only, the only thing it changes is I've usually got an interpreter when I'm talking to the players. <laughs> or I invent my own sign language. And fuck, if you ever meet any of the, the champions of Aussie deaf rugby, I'm pretty renowned for some of my own sign languages, especially swear words. It's pretty fucking funny. Um, but, yeah, anyway, that's the deaf rugby. And um, I'll just touch on just one game in particular. Um, I, I hope you're still with me because I, I can't stop bloody talking. So 2015, um, I was a Viking at this stage. Um, I'd made the move over to Port Macquarie. But that was when we went to uh, – when we toured Samoa and New Zealand. So we went to Samoa for for a test and then went from there to New Zealand, um, which was great at the time. But we went over, we had a few players pull out last minute. So we actually went over a pretty weak inside to Samoa. Um, it was important to me because it was the first time that I actually got asked to captain the side. Uh, a guy called Hoffy who's a legend of Australian deaf rugby, he, he lost his hearing in Somalia. Um, he's a he's the real deal, Hoffy. He was serving the Australian army in Somalia and the, the big cannons going off in, when he returned after his service at war. Um, his hearing was gone, unfortunately. But anyway, Hoffy, he's a legend of a man. And fuck, I hope you blokes get to meet him one day. He's, the, he's, he's very special um, to me and to the the deaf community and I believe to the country as a whole. Um, but Hoffy was the coach at the time and he asked me to captain the side. Um, I talk, talked to you before about captaining the Highlanders uh, and what it meant to me. You know, here I was with my Australian jersey on, you know, little Dave Kesey from Inverell with an Australian jersey on leading a group of men Oh, mate, it was pretty special. Um, I'm very, very blessed. That's the only way I can describe it. I'm very, very blessed. Um, you know, the, the ups and downs of my life and the, the, the mistakes I've made. And I've done shit things. I've done good things. But 
you know, for some reason at that point in time, I had that an opportunity to do that. And I can, I, I really take that seriously and I, I really take that as an honour um, to myself and my family. I know it means a lot to my brothers. Uh, it means a lot to my parents. It means a lot to my children. Um, to be the captain of the Australian side and and to do it in Samoa, to do it on foreign turf, um, it's pretty special. But there's a bit of a story when we typical Samoans. I love the Samoans, Samoans and Tongans. You know, <laughs> such good people. Um, but typical Samoans, we we stood there. You know, all the lead up to the game, the, the media and that sort of stuff. We stood there before the game. And they did the Samoan uh, national anthem, and then we stood there, and we stood there, and we stood there, and people were running around, and then and then they 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 yelled, came out and told us they said they they'd forgotten to get the Australian national anthem, so they'd forgotten to get it to go on the speakers, um, you know, where, <laughs> which is pretty important. Um, at that point, we, everyone stood there. A lot of the deaf guys, did, you know, a lot of the other guys standing in the line, shoulder to shoulder, didn't really know what was going on. So everyone just stood there for another few minutes awkwardly. And then Hoffy, uh, the bloke I just spoke about, he was playing as well. He had to play because we had a few players pull out and Hoffy grabbed me and um, we stood forward and we, he pulled me with him. I don't know why he did. I don't know whether it was because I was the captain, but... Uh, he definitely led led the way, and he he stood forward just that half a step in front of the rest of the line, and started r- ripping out the Australian national anthem as loud as he could. And I I didn't miss a beat. I jumped in right at the start with him. Um, so we had the, this huge crowd of Samoans, and there was Samoan politicians and and all that standing there, and you know we had our staff as well, all standing there, and he's. Hoffy and myself standing in this on this rugby field in Samoa, yelling the national anthem, just singing it as loud and as proud as you fucking can. Um, yeah, another one, another moment. Yeah, this I think everyone's everyone's proud of their families and stuff, and proud of what you achieve and the journeys. But holy shit, yeah, you. There's no no sarcasms there. I'm as proud of Australian as anyone. And just seeing that, I didn't give a fuck. You know, I didn't give a fuck how loud I sung it. I was just singing it. And I've, I remember just squeezing Hoffy's back. I had my arm around his back. And he had his arm around my shoulder. And we both had our heads back, eyes closed, just singing the national anthem, the Australian national anthem, as loud as we could. It was the best. Um, a few of the, the Australian Deaf Rugby staff, um, they've talked about it and they, they just said it was the best moment ever. You know, typical Samoans. And I, I, I got no idea whether it was their fault, whether it was deliberate or what. But for that moment, mate, we were we were singing our, our anthem in you know, in that, that sort of stage, in that environment. Um, yeah, it was great. It was great. It was a... It's one of those ones that that I'll sort of it sort of went down in Australian deaf rugby folklore now, um, and I don't think I spoke to you, 
you, you Vikings boys too much about it, but it was a pretty special time. It was pretty special to me. Um, unfortunately, we lost. <laughs> we lost. Fucking Samoans got us. Um, but you know they were hard. They were hard boys. Typical Samoans, and we were we were down. We had a couple of key players that pulled out last minute, so we were we were down with a bit of a skeleton bench. But we had still had a bench, um, and we still played. We only just lost. It wasn't much. What wasn't too much in it, but you know it was. And the the, the welcoming of the Samoans and the whole journey and the the dinners and they put on this big dinner after and you know the, the posing Samoan captain um, gave me a, a present and they all presented their opposite numbers with presents out of respect and all that sort of stuff you know we went to a, a place there that they employed deaf people and the whole experience fuck I can't I'll have to sit down with a few of you one day and you know you can pick me mind about it because fuck it was good um, and it was very Oh, mate, it was you know, life-changing again. I'm very lucky I keep coming up with these moments that are you know, life-changing and I'm just somehow a part of them. You know, I don't know how, how I'm there. But one more, more thing when, when that sort of happened, um, yeah, there was a, I won't go into it too much, but it was, there, was a, there was a game there for the Australian Deaf Rugby when um, Butsy, uh, Glenn Gardner, one of my, my mates, passed away. Um, it was very sudden, and yeah, you know that that sort of stuff when you you only found out about the day before the game, and you know that sort of stuff. But anyway, love you, Butsy, if you're up there, brother. Um, anyway, moving on, Vikings. Moving over, to, I'll get away from the deaf rugby a bit because I, I told you, I fucking. Oh no, actually, there's one more bit I got to tell you. So after Samoa, we went to New Zealand. Um, we went from Samoa straight to New Zealand, and by then, um, you know, we were walking. We were the walking wounded. We had we, we come off pretty bad out of that Samoan game. There's a lot of injured bodies. Um, you blokes that were with the Vikings, they know that I went over and I had I had um, some real busted ribs. I never got them checked to see if they were cracked or just bruised cartilage, but holy fuck, they were painful. Um, when we we're over there, I before that Samoan game, I I. I had a, I, before I left, before we went on tour, I got a um, a cool little guard thing. It was like a foam guard made up here in Port Macquarie, and it had um, a bit of aluminium on one side. So it was hard on one side and, and real thick foam on the other. It was perfect for protecting ribs in a rugby game. It was like fucking knight's armour. It was awesome. Um, it took a lot of mucking around with a few places here. Went went to a few places in the industrial area, and anyway, got it sorted. It's fucking awesome. Um, when we were in Samoa, the maid of our in our room in, in the motel we were staying at threw it out. The day of the game, I, I was looking for it. Like, where is it? You know, I needed that to get through the game, and she'd thrown it out. Um, couldn't believe it. So I did what any Aussie would do. I just started to, had a bit of a MacGyver moment. You know, we weren't far off getting on the bus to go to the field, so. I had a bit of a MacGyver moment and I had um, my roommate at the time, he, he was sort of saying, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? You know, in Samoa, you can't, you just haven't got access to resources and you know, it's not a Bunnings close by. You can go and try to put some sort of a guard together. So anyway, we had a Fiji bitter carton of beer in the room. True story, this one. Um, yeah, we started just ripping squares of the carton off, um, you know, squares, um, sort of these rectangle tangled chunks and 
until it was about an inch thick all piled onto each other and then just got a bed sheet and kind of tied it around this these cardboard squares <laughs> made out of the Fiji bitter carton and then just strapped that to my ribs. Um, it was a, it was the greatest MacGyver and it worked a treat. I, I actually reckon it worked better than the the one we got designed basically back here in Port Macquarie. So anyway, I got through got through a, a, an Australian Deaf Rugby test with a, a beer carton holding me together, and I've still got it. It's still down in the pool room. I kept it. I brought it back to Australia. The boys signed it, so it's pinned up there. This Fiji bit of beer carton that that um, I had for my cracked ribs. But um, anyway, we went went to New Zealand, and at the time. You know, uh, like that, that was when New Zealand were dominating Australia in all forms of rugby. You know, women's rugby, 18s, 20s, obviously our, our men's national side. Uh, New Zealand were just unbeatable. Uh, they were dominating the world, actually, not just Australia. Um, so we went there <coughs> wounded. We had a uh, one of our staff who's partially... Yeah, more than 50% deaf from Armidale. He's a, an older gentleman. We needed to get him to put the boots on because we were running short of players. Um, big Paulie, big Paulie Young, he made a um, a dash over to New Zealand, met us over there. Um, he answered the call, Big Paulie. He'd retired at that stage. Um, but he, he turned up for that New Zealand game, which I was, really inspired the boys. You know, they, everyone, he's a... He's a legend in the Australian deaf rugby community, but to see him turn up in New Zealand really, really lit a little bit of a match in the boys, and to have him back from retirement just for that one game because we needed him. Um, but you know we were training, and you could see the other the side. So New Zealand, New Zealand have got an active deaf rugby comp all year round. You know they've got plenty of money from New Zealand rugby. They've all got the gear. They've got the they've got a northern team a central team and a southern team that play regularly they've got oh they're just incredible like typical new zealand rugby anyone knows the the culture of rugby in new zealand which is you know tip me hat to them it's awesome but um yeah we were outgunned completely outgunned they had this huge big maori winger who was oh you know neck tattoos the whole works big big motherfucker anyway they they had they were just packed full of big muscly men uh, and we were, we were all strapped together, literally half broken from a, um, a hard match against Samoa. And, you know, we had staff, deaf staff, putting boots on to have a run. So completely outgunned. And, I, you know, I, I know no one really gave us much of a hope. Um, but before the match, and this is just another quick rugby story as well. I hope you're still hanging on there, people. I'm bloody, I feel like I'm just talking up the storm and I can hell. You guys will probably give me shit just for carrying on for so long. But um, Paulie coming over. So Paulie was the previous captain before me. And he came over and he made it very clear that he was, this is his only SOS. You boys know what an SOS is. You know, you shout out to a player who's announced his retirement. Um, but he answered the call for us. And he, he made it very clear it was the only one. Um, I won't go into too much what a legend he is because I've probably talked about him to most of you boys at times, but I thought it was appropriate to give the captaincy back for that match. Um, just for him coming back 
and what it meant to me for him to to do that for me. Um, yeah, I just I wasn't going to have him there with, and be his captain. Not after what we've been through um, for quite a few years now. At that point, um, and for him coming all the way over there to help me, um, I gave it back to him and. Um, you know, there's some personal stuff between between blokes and the conversations I had with Paulie after that and what it meant to him for me to do that for him. Um, that'll stay with me forever as well. It meant a lot to the big fella and, and you know, it's oh, here's part of, part of that sort of folklore of the Australian Deaf Rugby that we managed to, to piece together as well. And more importantly, it's part of him, him and I's mateship um, that'll be forever. Big Paulie, but I gave it back to him anyway. Incredible match, but we went on to win it. I remember the half time, at half time, Hoffy, um, a few of the guys just completely spent, you know, some emotional, emotional speeches, just another one of those incredible trips. You know, we're in another country. What was important to me is my mum was there. She went to New Zealand to watch me, um, and she's she still talks about it. She's she's obviously seen been a part of the rugby journey. My mum and anyone who knows my mum is you know there's no better woman than her. And holy dooly, she was just an emotional wreck after we won that game. I, I still don't know how we did it. I don't know how we did it. I don't, we didn't do it on strength. We didn't do it on on skill or experience. It was just pure passion and this is going to be the most you're going to think I'm a fucking dick for saying this but it was passion for our country it's exactly that and that's what we spoke about in the meetings in the whiteboard sessions oh and everything you know the whole lead up and the and the half time you know we spoke about the Australian, Australian and Anzacs and all that sort of stuff. We spoke about it all. So the passion for our country. I, I don't give a fuck what anyone thinks. I, I know that's that's what won us that game. And we were the only Australian rugby team to win on New Zealand soil for that whole year. And I, oh, I couldn't remember. Remember we got a mention from Alan Jones. It was – we got back, um, back to Australia and it was the best. One of the best, yet again, another, one of the best things I've ever been part of. Once again, another moment. I'll keep coming up with them. There's probably plenty I miss. But anyway, I'll leave that with the deaf rugby. I, that's, you know, I've just I spoke for 20 minutes or something on it. And I feel like I'm just going on and on, but I hope I'm not boring you guys. But, you know, a big, big part of my life again was moving to Port Macquarie. And this is where a lot of you, I mean, the majority, there's a few boys from back home that listen to these to the lefts and, Majority of you boys are Vikings. Um, you know, you're a part of my life here, and and I'm very, very blessed to have been welcomed into the club over here. I moved over here. Um, a decision with Mel and I, Mel and I made just to to get out of Inverell, which anyone who's come from a small town, it's hard to do that. Like you, re- you really, and it's nothing against Inverell and, and anything, but it's it's just to break free. Um, it's a bit of a term to use because it implies that you're getting away from something but it's not about that at all but to break free of, of that sort of small town grip and, and get over here I mean Woodsy was already here and 
and Cabes as well. So that that was that helped. But <clears throat> mate, the Vikings were made it so much easier to get in with the Vikings and, and start start the journey with the boys and with Adam and Hamish and Spraggy and all the boys. It's just you know it, it just seemed to fit in straight away, and it was great. Um, some of the best times ever. You know, just kicked on. Just the journey continued. Um, it was just awesome, and it's still going. Um, believe it or not. Um, okay, so you know all the sort of Vikings, the premierships. Um, yeah, I don't know. What do you say? How do I, I feel like I've, they're, they're all. When I talk about the, these other moments, they're no, they're no further up there than the the premierships I won with the Vikings. You know the the, the times and the, the times that we've had when we run out listening to Metallica and you know getting changed behind the sheds and the discussions and the commitment of the players and you know the history of the club and how it's formed and the whole whirlwind it's just amazing um you know even now I'm getting grayer and grayer and can feel like I'm can't physically do what I what I love doing I I still very very blessed that I'm still in that somewhere you know, I've still made a bit of a stamp over here. I, 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 do, I do sometimes. I, I wish I'd come over to the Vikings when I was, you know, five years earlier or something like that. When I was really in my heyday, I could have really, really turned some heads over here. But, but then I, then I'd have to lose those years back there. So you can't have that. I just came here at a particular time, and it's the best move I ever made. I, I love Port Macquarie, and I love the love the town and I, I love the, the Vikings and I love the, the, the people of the club and, and what it's brought to me. I love the people I'm still meeting at the club and the mates I'm still making. Um, yeah, so, you know, all the all the premierships and the grand finals, we lost a couple, eh? That was fucked. We'd lost a couple. One of them was to Joey. Big Joey did asshole from Inverell. Fuck. That was hard to swallow. There's a couple of pictures I seen on social media the other day of me and Joey embracing, and I was, I've never been more mixed. You know, I was fucking gutted that we'd lost, but um, I was happy for him as well. So I didn't want to, I didn't know which one to show. Um, so I was very happy for, for him to get that win. I know what it meant to him as well. Um, but the biggest one to me, and I, I get the years all mixed up the different premierships, but the one we won when I come back from my broken rib, uh, broken jaw, when I broke my jaw, you know, I've had fucking thousands of injuries, eh? I've had shoulders, knees, fucking, my nose is ridiculous. It's got that many fucking breaks in, it's not funny. Um, you know, fingers, toes, ankles, um, you know, you name it. I've had, I've had my whole fucking cheekbone caved in, but when I broke my jaw, that was, that was the shittest one I've ever had. It was a shit because for eight weeks I, I couldn't even lay down. I had to sleep sitting in a chair, saying goodnight to the kids all wired up, mouth wired up. The rule there, I still went on a few bus trips though and the threaded a straw down the side of the wire and managed to scull a few beers and fucking beers and mashed potato with Diane sauce. Oh. But, uh, you know, all this journey that I've talked about, and I'm, but it's tip of the iceberg stuff, I thought it was done then. I thought it was done. The specialist that I saw here in Port Macquarie, he said, "You're." He said, "Mate, your glass is jaw. Now, uh, jaw is glass now." He said, "You know, your footy wise, don't even risk it." 
and I sort of wasn't. I don't, I don't really talk to the boys too much. Even Woodsy and that, I don't really talk too much about this, but I knew I, knew I wasn't. I knew I, thought, I still wanted to play. I still wanted to be a part of it. And I remember um, the doctor, like a doctor, you know, it's like on the movies, a doctor telling you, you can't play again. And I was like, well, I can't or I shouldn't. And he goes, well, you definitely shouldn't. Um, he was just worried that if I busted it again, it was fucked. You know, I wouldn't be able to chew food again. I wouldn't be able to um, sort of talk. Because even if it only separates by a couple of millimetre, it throws all your teeth out of line and creates all these fucking arthritis sort of problems, blah, 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 fucking rant, rant, doctor shit. Um, and not, in saying that, he's a good bastard. He's a good bastard, this doctor. But when I remember saying to him, mate, I, I can't or shouldn't. He goes, well, you shouldn't. Fucking there you go. So that, that gives a choice back to me. And I remember, <laughs> boys, I was real emotional because I was fucking, I remember ringing one of my old mates back in Imbril and saying, mate, the footy's finished. And I started bawling. I had a real weak moment, eh? Like, it's sitting in the driveway of my house. I was bawling to him. And it was just such a huge part of my life, rugby. And at that time, I thought it was over. And, and then I um, I started researching. I started looking for fucking, like, everything from, like, gridiron helmets to, um, yeah, you know, all this different stuff, and then, and um, the whole time, poor old Mel, you boys know Mel. She's fucking champion. She was just going, "What are you doing, Dave? You know, what are you doing?" But she gets it. Mel's got a saying that, and she brings it out all the time. She says, "I know the man I married," and it was no truer than when I was trying to get back on the field after that broken jaw. You know, I wasn't a young man either. I could have easily just faded off into the distance. Um, and sat back and recovered from the jaw and just uses uses an excuse. I thought, no, nah, fuck it. I still want to still want to be with the boys, you know. I still want to still want to play. And I remember playing a few of those games with that that strap. I had that strap that would just hold me jaw shut, so it didn't bounce around and it sort of protected a bit just from the running part because originally the the running just the bounce up and down of the running, I could feel that in my jaw. And, I, and at that time, it had been months and months and months and months. So I thought that would never go away. But I thought, fuck it, if I can just strap it there. Worst thing is, though, is it meant I could only keep my mouth shut. So I had to breathe through my teeth and through my nose. And my nose, is, I've only got one fucking nostril that works, a bit like my ears. I've only got one nostril that works because it's been broken that many times. It's like a fucking S-bend. And so within two minutes of that first game, I couldn't breathe. You know, I'm blowing. So I just thought, right, I've got to get past this. So I just literally just widen me um me lips as much as i can so i could suck air in from every little gap in me teeth <laughs> and uh through me nose i thought fuck this i'm gonna i'm gonna still do it and i played bloody most of that season with that thing on my head and you know everyone everyone was just saying what the fuck are you doing i was getting family members saying what the fuck is wrong with you what are you what are you still playing for we're wearing this fucking ridiculous thing that holds your mouth together. Um, anyway, we went on to win, to get another taste of a premiership after that. And, yeah, that was pretty special to me. I, I don't I remember a silly Sunday and stuff and had a few fucking drunken yarns about it. But, yeah, to, to get a premiership after that was gold. Yeah, I, was, I was lucky. I could get another one as well. So, yeah, my time... With the Vikings, reality is my time as a player is 
pretty much fucking cooked. You know, I'm, I, I get that. I get that. I'm at peace with it. I'm okay with it. Um, I can sit on the sideline and drink beers, although I'm not going to fucking get on the heavies at lunchtime like I did about a month ago. Holy shit, all over the shop. Made a bit of a cunt of myself. Um, yeah, I'm going to fucking sit on the mid-strength, I think, but I'll be sitting there with Spraggy and the boys and um, I, I'm at peace with that. But, yeah, my time with the Vikings has been incredibly, incredibly special um, and it'll continue on. I, I might even jump back into coaching ranks. You know, I coach for a few years in Inverell and senior grades and, uh, you know, down the track, never say never at the moment. Um, it's beer o'clock for a couple of years, I think. But when I turn into one of my old fucking rugby heads, I might just jump into the coach and hopefully, and you know, with the, with the new new guys and um, can't wait. Um, righto. Because, because I'm going solo here, because I'm sitting here talking to myself all this time. Um, once again, fuck I don't know. I don't know how you boys are going to um, react to this, this one. I don't know. If you're all just fall asleep and switch off, or you're just think, "Fucking hell, he's a boring bastard." Um, but anyway, bloody lockdown, so may as well. Um, but I, I did be. I, I was obviously not going to ask all the usual questions. I sort of ask people when I interview them in these to the left. But I did make a top five list of players. Um, geez, it was hard. I joked to you, blokes, like you fellas that I interview. I talked to you about. Top, your, your top fives and, and stuff like that. Um, and I, I had to break mine up into Inverell and Vikings. Like I'm a Viking through and through now, but I, I, I just had to break it up because it wasn't fair to just break it down to five total. <laughs> I know it's a bit of a bit of an on the fence, but he sucks way out. But um, yeah, I just I just couldn't do it. And even now, like there's so many blokes, so many that are on the cusp of this five as well. And these these aren't necessarily the five best players either from from Inverell or from the Vikings, but they're just five fucking good bastards and they're, they're five that jump out at me. So Inverell, for you Inverell fellas listening, goes without saying Talavia. Tala, Tala, Tala. Tala, offer a to my toko Tala. Tala is the epitome of... Of what we went through back then, he was a quiet young young man when he came to the Highlanders from Nakalofa in Tonga. Um, and he came over, and he's so shy. And Tuller is is one of my brothers in arms. He was a he was a, just an incredible, incredible guy. Um, and he's made a life for himself in Inverell. And I'm I'm so so proud of Tuller and his family that he's he's created and and the life he's got and as a rugby player, he was incredible. He was hard, loyal, um, everything. He ticks all boxes, Tuller. Um, and I, I couldn't love a bloke more. Um, Clarky, the fridge. If you're Inverell blokes, there's no, there's no one to do with Inverell rugby that doesn't know the fridge. Oh, Clarky, he's the best. Fridge, he was around right in the early days. Fridge, he's a bit older than me, but he was around back in those, in those early days when I was that cranky little kid that you know starting fights and thinking he could conquer the world and and he was there in 2006 he was my my soldier in 2006 um so loyal so so loyal and just unfaltering in that loyalty he even to this day he's one of those clark he's one of those blokes that 
you know, and I hope you blokes out there have got mates like this that if you rang them and needed them, need, needed them for something, they'd be on their way, like no hesitation. Um, and that's the fridge. And he was like that as a player, and he's like that as a human being. And he's such a good fun bastard. Loves his two his old Clarky. Paulie's on there, big Paulie. He's on my Inverell list. Oh, Paulie, um, he's just a wonderful, wonderful man for the deaf rugby stuff and the Highlanders stuff. He came to the Inverell Highlanders he, when I was captain and he, he walked into a Tuesday or Thursday night training session um, and I looked at him and I thought, this guy's just a fucking tree trunk. And then he told me he was deaf and I said, I didn't care. Um, he went through the whole training session and all the boys met him and he had a great time and then he came up after me and said, this not AFL? He thought he was signed up for AFL. He'd never played rugby before and he went on to be one of the greatest props that uh, Inverell Rugby's ever seen. He's um, actually having a bit of a run for Kempsey this year after a long, long time retired. So he's just doing it for a bit of fun to meet people. But he's in his heyday, he was a wrecking ball, Paulie. Um, and just for many, many personal reasons, he's on my list. LT, Lukey Tom, few of you Vikings boys have met Lukey. Um, Lukey just was a, on his day, was as good as they come. You know, he's, he's, he's as good as good a player, good player management. Um, all that sort of stuff. He was just my 10. He's my 10. He'd, he'd, he'd not only as his captain, would he follow instructions, he would give me ideas that I never thought of, um, little passages of play that he'd come up with that no one else thought of, and I'd go and I'd just back him. Um, LT, fucking loose cunt on the on the drink and that as well, but he's a fucking legend. Uh, he's, he's, he's a bit of a club slut. He went on to play for just about every club in New South Wales after that. Um, and I think he won premierships in all of them as well, league and, and um, yeah, obviously us with the rugby and the Highlanders. Uh, the last one from Inverell, it's it's a bit of a no-brainer, Big Joseph. I don't know if you, I think think few of the think Joey might be listening to this, but I love you, brother. Um, you know, the whole sort of Inverell journey, um, you were right beside me. I was never really your captain, mate. You were you were just my the bloke I confided in with everything um, and the bloke that that helped me with the boys and, yeah, just incredible, incredible bloke, Joseph. Um, yeah, you know that, mate. And, you know, you've done great things in rugby, working working for New South Wales Rugby now. It's fucking couldn't think of a better bloke to do it, honestly. That's just a dream job and I'm so happy for you and your family, mate. A bit filthy that you led the snappers to – to beat us in a grand final that year, as mentioned. But fucking happy for you, mate. You well deserve it. You did well out of Maury and that as well. So yeah, Joey, you know, the, the he went through that whole roller coaster with me. So he's yeah, definitely got a special place there. The Vikings, the Vikings boys. Um, I've put put these two blokes, Adam Adam and Hamish. You know, I put them in the same. They're the same. They've taken up the same spot on this podium for me. Um, it's just incredible blokes. When I when I first moved over here, you know, all the characters like Barnsey and um, all those sort of blokes, so welcoming. Um, but I started getting on the drink. Back then it was uh, down under bar, you know, I'd be there with Adam and Hamish and fucking, I just thought they were the maddest guys ever. It was the best fun. I used to think we were pretty, pretty wild over in Inverell, but then I met H in his prime and fucking hell, he's the funnest guy ever. Um, but on top of that, good footballers. 
you know, two of the great footballers, Hamish, and still doing it. Um, at, like Adam, you know, he, all the accolades are worth it, mate. What you do and what you bring to the club and what you do on the field, it's just amazing, and you're still doing it. You're still as good today as, the, as that first season that I came over in 2015. Um, fuck knows how you can pass like you do, mate, and how you can, you can pick the make the right choices like that. Um, but you're a good, good quality footballer, um, and I'm very, very blessed to have played with both of you boys. Hamish, you're the same, mate. You're as you're as, you're as good as a, as any that I played with at any level, um, for for different reasons. You know, you just you truck it up when you have to. You get in the in the ruck. You get in the nitty gritty side when you have to. You've got that about you, which I fucking love, and I, and which when I'm on the field when. There's times you need that. You need that bloke with you and you've been that bloke and you're still doing it, mate. I still watch you all the time. Um, yeah, I'm just very, very blessed. You two have got that spot on the podium together. Um, I know I've, I've talked in these to the left podcasts about about this, the McCormack story and, and it's very, very pure, um, very, very pure. And it's such a wonderful part of such a great club and I, I fucking hope you boys get that grand final this year. I really want that. If I, you know, if, I, if there's anything in my power to do that, I would fucking do it to make sure you two boys got it um, for that 25, 25th year for, for the club and for your families. Westie, fucking skipper. I don't know. What do I say about you, Westie? Just love you, brah. Just a, just a good human. Just a good human, inspirational captain. Um, incredible football player. Just a good, hard, reliable didn't say too much, but what you said mattered. Um, and just a good bastard. The little fucking joke. Sometimes I'd be, you know, the voices in my head before a game, I'd be pinging them, bouncing off the walls. Just wanted, didn't know I had, you know, shit going around in my head. And you'd walk up and say something funny about a Simpsons episode or something. Um, I love it, mate. And it'd bring me right back. But yeah, Westy, you, you know, in your retirement, you're one of the greats as well, and I'm very, very fortunate that you're a great mate of mine as well, mate. Um, I actually put in Vikings, I've got um, the two next next to uh, uh, Kenny Anderson and, and Woodsy. Um, Kenny, he's just Kenny to me, and you've been for a long, long time back out west, um, just an incredible player. Um, he seemed to have that success about you um, that, you know, whatever team you're in and whatever team I've been involved with you in, even when we played Central North and toured together, just you just brought success, mate, and it's your game management and your decisions and your kicks and you decided to run it in cut passes, the whole deal. You're just a complete player, mate, and you're a bloody good bastard on tour. Jeez, we've had had some good tours over the years, um, that's for sure, <laughs> some fucking wild ones. Woodsy, you yeah, know, not enough can be said. Very, very proud of you. Um, yeah, just a, as good a human as you can get. Really a club legend over here. You know, I've said said everything, all these accolades in the podcast, but to me personally, just all that above that, he's just a good, good human um, and about to be a dad, which I'm so, so happy about. And this fucking lockdown might mean that no one will be able to visit you and we, we might not be able, we won't have to delay wet in the head, mate, but... I really want this premiership to you too because I get the feeling with you now 
and I could be wrong, but I get the feeling with you that, you know, you, you get to the end of that tunnel as well. Um, and, you know, with this beautiful family that you've got, um, I don't blame you and you deserve it. But I really want this last game for you, mate. And fuck, once again, if there's anything I could do to make that happen for you, um, I, I would fucking do it in a, in a second. And last and last and bloody <laughs> the best, the top of the mountain is Tunny. Tunny, fucking Tunny. What do we say about him? What a, it's just incredible, incredible human. To me, I just can't picture a Viking side without without you there, brother. Tons. Um, one of the best players. Let's get the bullshit stuff out of the way and just concentrate on your rugby. You're one of the best players. When you want to be, I saw you in that major semi. That was the Tunstead of old. I saw a spark in your eye and I could see it right from the start. You know, I, I'm a bit of a judgment of, of personalities and, and players and I saw it in you, mate, and you... You tore them apart. You were the, in my book, you were the best player there that day. That was only two weeks ago now. And I fucking hope you've got that spark in your eye if that we get to play this grand final. Because if you do, mate, you beat anyone. You do beat anyone. And not only that, you're, you're a player that if you play like that, fucking hell, everyone follows. You inspire everyone. You inspired me so many times. Um, Obviously, one of the greats off the field. I, can, I won't even go into that. We've been through so many stories, but you're one of the greats by far off the field. But, yeah, you're just one of the best tons. You know, you, if I had to make a list of the Inverell Vikings combined, you'd still be there. Um, just incredible, incredible like tons. Fucking love you, brother. Um, and I just really want, same with you, I really want to get this last premiership for you as well. I know you'll just keep fucking soldiering on like you do. I don't know how many years you got in here, but you deserve this one too, mate. Um, that's about it. I better fucking wind it up. I'm starting to lose my voice a bit. I've been talking. This is the longest one by far. Um, yeah, just, just, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. My best moments, 2006, uh, the premiership with the the, the the Highlanders, 2006, 2008. Uh, the premierships here with the Vikings, the Australian Deaf Rugby, all the whirlwind there. You know, I'm only just tipping the iceberg. Um, the New Zealand Test, um, all that sort of stuff. I, I, you know, I, I don't even know how to finish up. I'll just finish up. If there's one word to describe this journey, one word to describe sort of what I've been through, and, and it doesn't stop here, you know, I could get into coaching or something, but if there's one word to describe it, it doesn't really describe it. It's just the word that comes to mind. It's grateful. Very, very grateful. I don't know what I did to deserve um, those opportunities, I guess you call them. Um, you know, I, I had a had a life of, I should say had a life, still fucking going, obviously, but, um, you know, I've made some fucking shit decisions and I've made some some bad, bad mistakes in life, but for some reason I've just been gifted some opportunities like I have and some some very, very pure moments and some moments that as an old bloke sitting in a rocking chair, fucking drinking drinking a beer and chain-smoking durries, I'll be able to look back on um, and talk your ears off. Um, you know, if you say, I don't know, you know, if you could go back and do it all again, Fucking hell, I wouldn't a second. 
for the main reason, other than the the big moments, the main reason is for the blokes, the mates, you know, the blokes that are probably listening to this. Um, you know, everyone's everyone's scattered in different directions, but they're all at some stage by my side for the common cause, and that was rugby, and that was the the game. That was the game we played, whichever jersey. Um, the commitment was still the same, um, and the word "grateful" is the only thing I can come up with that. So, I'll leave it with that. Anyway, boys, let's hope that. Um, hope you're still with me. Hope you haven't died off, and I hope I haven't bored you. Um, there's a whole fucking million other stories that I can go on about, but you know, we'll wait till this year's silly Sunday when we're drinking winners' piss, um, and I'll fucking tell you whatever you want to need to know. Whatever you want to know, whatever you need to know. Anyway, love you boys. Hope you enjoyed that episode. To the left, it was fucking long, but um, I really enjoyed talking about it. And um, I hope this lockdown ends soon and we can all have a beer together. Love you.